The Lord be with you. Luke 10 today. Hopefully we get, I don't have anything else to distract me, knock on wood. So we'll, we'll hopefully can wipe out Luke 10 and start into Luke 11. I think Luke 10, as Luke 10 concludes with the famous Mary and Martha text, which will be coming up, I believe, this summer. So we're in the, the three-year lectionary, the way our readings cycle through, if you recall, and um, which means every year has given a letter. So A is associated with Matthew, B year is associated with both Mark and John, and then this year is C year. So the gospel lessons that drive the Sunday are, are predominantly taken from the gospel of Luke. And if you've noticed, you might not have noticed, but the like in the feasts, like in the high feast season, like the Easter, Christmas, I mean, sometimes those readings are taken from whatever gospel is, is most appropriate for the day. But generally speaking, we'll, work, we'll, we'll try to focus on the stories from, that, from the gospel of Luke. And Luke has almost everything in it. So uh, Luke's a, quite a lengthy gospel with a lot, of, a lot of details and a lot of helpful teachings, which is why we're, we're going through it. Um, so this summer, at some point, I think maybe in the middle of the summer, we'll hit Mary and Martha from the pulpit and basically everything that we're studying now. So we're, we're ahead for a limited time. We're ahead of the lectionary, but it'll, it'll catch up with us pretty quickly here. So, if you, so today's gospel lesson was Jesus casting out the demons into the pigs. And uh, every barbecue fan's like saddest story. Like the, the pigs just jumped into the water. Why did they, did they eat them later? <laughs> what a waste. Uh, that we studied that like, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, 10 weeks ago, who knows. Today, Mary and Martha, um, which, which gives us a helpful, a helpful glimpse and a helpful teaching on, on the role of service in the Christian life and how we understand that um, and the marriage between service and worship. So let's hear from Luke 10. It's on your green handout. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So first, they went on their way. Jesus entered a village, and the village happened to be the namesake of our congregation, Bethany. And Bethany comes up a few other times. So Mary and Martha, we're going to run into Mary and Martha again. Do you remember when? The raising of Lazarus, their brother. So Lazarus obviously wasn't here. He wasn't dead yet. Um, and this is the first time we're, we're, uh, we're, given, we're introduced to, to Martha and Mary, I think, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, so keep in the back of your mind this, this tension between Mary and Martha that we, that we see unfolding in this text about, so Martha's trying to serve and Mary's trying to listen and whatever their personality, all of us have families, um, whether or not you have siblings, um, so there's always, every single family has, has unique and interesting family dynamics. 
And when, when any of you come to me with your family problems, you do it in this like whispering, shame-filled way of like, like your family's the only one with problems. <laughs> and I'm laughing. And you're, why is pastor laughing at my problems? Well, it's because I just dealt with that same issue last week with a different family. My point is all of our families have, have unique problems. It's because we're all sinful. That what makes a Christian family, I, I kind of had a similar line in my sermon on this. What makes a Christian family is not a family without problems, but it's a family that actually knows how to forgive in the context of problems. So when the problems happen, when, the, when harsh words are spoken, um, to be able to come to one another in, in lowliness and ask for forgiveness where, where harm has been done. So Mary and Martha, though, have this kind of tension, which we'll unpack. But it's, so also you see a little bit of it in John 11 and the famous healing of Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Mary and Martha were like separate. I can't, I think, oh, I have to look at that. Is it Martha? Somebody have a Bible? Said the guy teaching the Bible study. In John 11, let's see. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, yada, yada. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was dead for th four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Do you remember what happens? So they get word. This is, just, this is looking ahead in the future. Martha hears that Jesus is coming, the one who can raise Lazarus from the dead, and she runs to meet him, like almost in this hopefulness. Uh, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. Mary didn't go. The, the text doesn't necessarily say why, but we can, we can guess. Why would Mary not have maybe gone to with excitement to see Jesus. So she's mourning, certainly, but Martha would have been mourning too. Beth nailed it. She's what? I would contend she's mad. He didn't come back in time. Um, and it, what's, what's especially fun from the viewer perspective of, of the John 11 text is that Jesus, Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick. So he waited three days. He waited for him to die. And I mean, some, one aspect of the text would be so that he could have that conversation with Mary. Maybe Mary had a misunderstanding of how this was all gonna play out. Mary was expecting some kind of miracle or, or felt like things need to happen on her terms. But so Mary is the one in today's, in today's reading that's actually sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's the faithful one. See, seemingly so. And we'll come back to that. But she's, so she's really interested in learning the gospel, hearing more about Jesus. Martha's distracted by lots of stuff. So Mary, maybe in the back of her mind, is thinking she's been faithful and she deserves something, or she expects different stuff from Jesus. And so it led to some frustration later. Then also on Easter morning, the first Easter, so remember, the, Jesus had been taken off the cross on Friday before sundown, because Friday at sundown became Saturday, the Sabbath. And so they couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. So they needed Jesus and the other, the two thieves off the cross by Friday afternoon. Then all Saturday, they couldn't do anything. But wait, 
like they're looking outside, waiting till they can actually go to the tomb and anoint Jesus's body properly for burial. So in the day, uh, and, and that Saturday, Mary and Martha and Lazarus are together in the house. And some would, would, would uh, suppose that perhaps Peter and John were there or some of the other disciples. Because remember on Good Friday, when everything fell apart and the disciples scatter in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're running in different directions and they're scared. We find some of the disciples in a locked room on Easter morning and Easter evening, but some of them likely ran to Bethany. And that's why on Easter morning, they're coming from different directions to the tomb. Like Peter and John are going, where were the other disciples? Why weren't they all together? Well, that's giving us the context. But this Mary and Martha dynamic is interesting because that whole Saturday, just picture what that tension would have like continued to escalate. When thing, if you already have some brokenness in your family or some like some tension, unresolved conflict because of some misspoken words, Thanksgiving 2007 or whatever it is, um, when things, when the, when the heat is poured on, like when there's a funeral or when there's a wedding, which are already stressful events, but it just makes everything worse. And so now Jesus has died, everything's fallen apart. And then Sunday morning, for us, it's Easter morning. So we're here, we know what's gonna happen. We're listening to the gospel. We're, we're, we're uh, fast and loose with our, with our alleluias. But the women walk into the tomb on Easter morning, they didn't know. And so I always imagine Mary and Martha are fighting along the way, just arguing about, uh, sorry, did, you bring the, did you bring the oil this time, Mary? Or are you gonna sit around and do nothing again? Like this tension, this was unresolved. Because these are people, I and mean, it's fun to see, it's a very short text, but you, they have personalities, they have lives, we know where they're going. Bethany is only two miles away uh, from, from, uh, from Jerusalem where Jesus would be crucified. So Jesus enters Bethany and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So notice, it's a key thing. Whose fault was it that Jesus came into their house? Martha. And who complained about Mary not working? Martha. So Martha said, wait a second. So you're the one who decided to have a party. You invited your friend over. And now I, I'm expected to be doing all this work. So you see that, that tension there. And this frustration that Martha welcomes him. When you invite someone into your home, you're supposed to be, it's a hospitable thing, right? Welcome, especially in their, in their culture. Jesus is welcomed into her home, and it's supposed to be like, well, like all of us do, when someone comes over to your house, uh, even if you and your, and your spouse are fighting, bickering over some silly thing, or you and your kids are having some frustrated battle that's been going on, as soon as the guest walks in the door, what's everybody do? I'm going to see a smiles go on, right? And maybe you'll see some of this residual tension later. Um, but <laughs> you're supposed to be hospitable. But what happens? So here's Martha. She welcomes Jesus into her home. She's supposed to be hospitable. And right away, she brings Jesus into a family squabble. 
which just makes everybody feel uncomfortable. You're supposed to be trying to make your guests feel comfortable. Let me get you something to drink. Sit down, make yourself at home. By the way, me and my sister are fighting. Let's get, it's about to get awkward for you. That's not pleasant for anyone. So here's Jesus, kind of rolling his eyes. <laughs> Welcomes Martha to her home. Instead of showing the hospitality that she should have been showing, uh, she, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, which is the known posture for the disciples. The disciples, I mean, just picture the disciples sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. That's on, the, the language of the catechesis in the first century, the didache in early first century documents. This language of sitting at the Lord's feet is the language of the catechumenate, the, the, those who are learning the Lord's word. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, but he writes it to the context where the church has been meeting together for 20, 30 years. So there's already been these catechumens being raised in the faith, being taught the faith. And so when he uses language of sat at the Lord's feet, he's calling to mind, um, she, was, she was a catechism student. She was, Jesus was saying, what does this mean? And, and, Mary, and Mary's like, we should fear and love God. And listening to his teaching, akuoing his lagos. Uh, so he kept on, she, this, on this, the, listened to his teaching. The Greek there isn't just the, she listened one time, but she had this ongoing, this ongoing listening to his ongoing teaching. <coughs> and the, the word there for teaching is the logos, which is a helpful thing to remember. Jesus isn't just talking about God's word, but Jesus is God's word. And when he speaks about God's word, he's actually doing stuff with the word itself. Remember that. It's living and active. So his, this logos that became flesh and dwelt among us is now dwelling in Mary and Martha's house, speaking the very word that created all things into existence, into Mary's ears. And Martha was distracted with much serving. Now, the Greek word for distracting, I think, is, gets a, a better helpful uh, understanding of the word. So we think distracted like, I don't know, pulled in a lot of different directions. The Greek idea is, is literally being dragged around or pulled away. So like when you have to pull somebody away from something, it's because they would rather be doing what they were doing before. That's hence the dragging, the pulling. So you get the sense that Martha kind of wanted to be sitting at the feet of Jesus. Hence, so that word for distracted isn't just that she was like not paying attention like she should have been, but rather she was being pulled away with much serving. So she wanted, perhaps, I mean, to put the best construction on it, she wanted to be sitting next to, sitting next to Mary, which is what kind of brought this frustration out on Mary. She wanted to be doing what Mary was doing, but somebody's got to make the, the cucumber sandwiches. And she went up to him and said, Lord, now becomes an insult. Do you not care? So it's somehow Jesus' fault now. Jesus, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now here's a command. God, tell her to help me. <laughs> Make her do what I want her to do. Do you not care about my my miserable situation here, make her do what I want her to do. And so this, what was once supposed to be this peaceful, hospitable welcome to my home, 
becomes awkward. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. The Greek idea is like overly concerned about, like overly, overly focused in on this thing. You are anxious and troubled about many things. And in contrast to the many, verse 42, but one thing is necessary. So you're focusing in about all these different things, but only one thing is actually necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which is a word used in the context of food, right? You're a large portion. So, there, so it's in the context of preparing a meal, Jesus actually brings that word into it. He's like, Mary's chosen the good food, which will not be taken away from her by sitting at my feet and, and hearing, hearing my teaching. All right. So let's look at our handout here. Why was, why was Martha anxious? So what is, what is it to be anxious? Because we, we all experience anxiety. Say again, Gretchen. Yeah, to have, think, to, to have control over something would suggest, yeah, that it's, I don't have fear of things going out of control a way that I don't want it to go, but it's gonna go how I want it to go. And by the way, the way that you want things to go is obviously the best way, right? As it is for all of us. The way, that's why it's so good to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. It's one of, one of the hardest things for us to pray. But that's one, that's one reason why. She wanted it to go well. She had fear that she was going to disappoint Jesus, maybe. What kind, of, what kind of stuff causes our anxieties? Not you. I don't want your dirty laundry brought out before everybody else. But a friend that you know, what kind of stuff makes them anxious? Yeah, Ty. Yeah, so connected, connected to fear, which that word fear, it's so helpful the way Luther did his catechism, but for me, fear brings to mind the first commandment and really all the commandments. Whatever, whatever it is that brings us fear shows us our sin. It either shows us our faith, if we're putting our fear in the right place, or it shows us our unbelief. So the things that are causing us our fears and our anxieties gets at our ultimate unbelief. What is the one necessary thing that Jesus is saying here? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled on many things. One thing is necessary. What's the one necessary thing? Say it. Jesus? Well, I, I, certainly, but so Martha would argue that she, that she's putting her emphasis on Jesus too. So that would mean that the necessary thing is, what's the, what's the verb? Again, being, being active toward Jesus or being passive, receiving. Yeah, Dennis. 
Does, that, does anyone have the power to turn off this thing? Or the, or the ability? Can the, can the trustees in, install the clapper on this thing? No. Right. So, so simply having simply having faith in Jesus, and faith is the catcher's mitt, right? So we don't want to be we don't want to think faith is an active thing. And when I think here, it's very easy to to kind of roll our eyes at Martha, but Jesus knows what he's doing here because we we need to. I I would argue we need to hear this text not every three years, but like multiple times a year. Because the, what happens to us in our sinful flesh when it comes to serving in the church or serving God in our lives. So the question on the handout is, what does this teach us about service in the church? If Mary's chosen the one thing needful and, it, and it will not, the good portion, she's chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her, what is it teaching us about service in the church? The divine service is the most important thing. Yeah, so this is helpful. I, if, in case you're wondering why we're always throwing the, the word divine service. I mean, it, it is... It is, our, it is worship, right? It is our, our church's worship. But not all churches refer to their worship as the divine service. So that we, unique, we describe our Sunday experience in a unique way on purpose. Now, if you've heard divine service a million times and you see it on the church sign and you, it's kind of like burned into your brain, divine service just means that there's church on Sunday at whatever time. But the words mean something. So divine is referring to who's doing, this, who's doing the work. God is, the, div- the one divine one. So he is the one who's serving us. So our worship, it, it just it flips around like I'm doing, I come to church to do something for God. You have well-meaning Christian friends and neighbors who actually think that that's what Sunday is for. S- like Sunday, it's the Lord's day. And so we go to church to, to, show our, to, to show our commitment to God or to, to keep the commands of God or something I'm doing for him versus a posture of, I need it. I, I go to the restaurants, not because I want to do something for them. I'm there to take, right? And so the Lord calls us to his church for the divine service to receive his gifts. And it, it, our, our, confession, our confessions put it, uh, and I know you guys have heard this many, many times, but what, what defines the church? What locates the church? The church is where, where the word is preached purely and the sacraments are administered according to Christ's command. That's, 
That is what the, the, those things make up the church, which are ultimately things that we receive from him. We receive the preaching of the word. We receive the sacraments from him. And so what makes church then is, I wouldn't say just fundamentally, but essentially, almost exclusively, it's what we receive from him. And then out of that, out of that gift comes a response of faith, which would be, which would include things like praise, prayer, thanksgiving, and service. But unless we've received, we're getting, we're getting things turned around. So receiving has to always come first. And not only first, it's always like, and I've told some of you this, maybe some of you want me to tell you even now, because uh, I have a family who's like, they, they, they come to church and they get super involved. By the way, you should get involved. So I've got this rule. It's not in our constitution, but I think I have the privilege to be able to set this rule. I try, if at all possible, to not put anybody on the boards of this church who is not faithful in some Bible study of our church. That's helpful. So it's not just looking for a body to put onto a board, because our boards are actually pretty, they're very, very important. And had they, they handle a lot of the, how the money is spent, the decisions that we make, and ultimately the direction of where we're going. So if we have, we filled up our boards with just bodies who aren't interested in learning God's word, is it possible for things to kind of get dragged in an unhelpful direction? Or at the very least leads to some unhelpful or unproductive conversations on, among the board. So to try to steer toward a healthier conversation on our boards, I have this rule that we gotta be in Bible class, which means those of you who are actually in Bible class, you have to become a voter and then you get, then you get put on our boards. So do consider that it is, it is necessary from a left-hand kingdom way, we have to have these, we have to make these decisions and yet it's not the most necessary thing. So I've told people this when they'll, they'll be serving, like the wife will be on the day school policy board and the husband will be an elder and they're really, and they got, they're trying to juggle the kids and trying to handle so much. And they're like, they're, they're, they're so consumed by the, the, the service that it's actually making walking into church here a stressful thing. Every time you walk into church, there's something put on your plate, another headache. You poor trustees. Every time, every time the trustees walk into church and say, oh, by the way, there's a nail over there that needs to be, there's a leak over in the, like every time you, well, there, there's a way you can see that with joy, right? Because you're given this wonderful opportunity to serve in the Lord's house. But when, it, when things start to get out of sync in your, in your head and you're coming to church and it's becoming this laborious thing, that's robbed of joy because of your serving, you've stepped into Martha's shoes and out of Mary's. And so right away, I'll tell you, quit. Oh, but we'll drop below the board minimum. I don't care. No one even knows what those are. <laughs> Ty knows. Dennis will call us on it. <laughs> he didn't even catch it. Oh, well. uh, but so, but ultimately there, there's a, if, if our, if our marrying, if our Martha-ing gets in the way of our marrying, 
everything falls apart. And so notice what happens with Martha. Who does she get mad at? She's mad at Jesus and mad at Mary. And the context is supposed to be one in which God has walked into our house to share his gifts with us. What a, what a reason for joy. And right away, in the quest of serving him, it has turned us on one another and on him. And that's just the sinful flesh. That's always, by the way, that's always going to happen. I mean, any, all of you who have served on boards, you, you kind of know there's like, okay, there's frustrations. And even just coming to church, there, Jesus only invites one kind of person here. Sinners. So when you get a bunch of sinners together, you're going to have sin. What sets us apart isn't the lack of sin, but our willingness to forgive and bear with one another, right? So that's a helpful thing. We want to keep our, keep our marrying in its proper place so that then our service can follow. And it's right service that then hopefully, in our, in our, according to our sinful flesh, we're always going to be, whenever we start serving, it's very easy to, to write. And no one does this on purpose. And we're so, we get so busy, not busy, we're so good at like ca calling out the Pharisees for their sins that we don't realize how quickly and easily we can do it. So it's like, have you ever done anything at church by way of serving, not just at church, but any, in any, wherever you're serving in this community or in your life, in your family, you're doing something. And whenever somebody, if it's something that you don't completely love and someone else is not doing it and you think they should be, right away, animosity some kind of judgment toward them. Why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Shouldn't they pitch in and do more like me? That's the dynamic here. And that's what Jesus is getting after for each of us. That, that little voice, little Martha's inside of all of us that are quick, to, quick on the trigger to judge the neighbor. And then also get frustrated with God for this situation that we find ourselves in. Um, so, so helpful, helpful law here from Jesus, but also certainly helpful gospel that he turns us and puts our, prioritizes our service in the church in the right way, that we would be Mary instead of Martha so that we can marry and then be Martha in the right way. Because ultimately even here, Jesus, so Martha invited Jesus into her home. What one assumes that, she probably was inviting him over for whatever, tea and crumpets, a thing. <laughs> invited him over for dinner, invited him over for meal, something. So like, ultimately, there was an expectation for her to do something, to prepare something. But she could have done that in a joyful way. How cool is this? We get to make, making sandwiches for Jesus. Oh, Martha's in there learning from Jesus. Good for her. Maybe she'll share with me something and then, then, then our little sinner comes in. Well, you know what? Martha kind of, she does need it more. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, let's see. We talked about the divine service. What, what is the purpose of church? 
What's the point of this? To receive gifts. Our coming together, our walking into this place is first and foremost to be Mary. And so when you think about that, what then makes church successful? What makes a successful church service or what makes you have a successful day, an effective Sunday morning for you? It's just receiving gifts, which is like the opposite of how we think about our productivity in our own lives. Saturday morning, here we go. Home Depot, got to get the flowers, got to fix the mulch, weed the stuff. In the midst of that, change a bunch of diapers, maybe grill some food in the context of just trying to be as productive. It's all about doing. That's what makes a productive day. But the Lord flips it. Sunday is the most productive day when you just sit there and be served. What a gift. So if, if some of you feel like, you know, Pastor, I feel like every time I come to church, I'm having to be a sacristan. Or every time I usher, I'm ushering, and I don't get to actually hear the sermon. You could have told, you could have told me a better thing. Oh, yeah? Well, you're fired. No more ushering for you. Sit down and just receive the gifts. And by the way, whenever it's time to jump up for communion, if somebody seems lost, just kind of point them in the right way. That's what an usher kind of does, right? If somebody looks like they don't know what they're doing, help them out. But all of you can do that anyway. So we don't want our, our, uh, our serving in the church to get in the way, and yet it is helpful. Communion would take 17 times longer if I didn't have all the helpers, especially today without Pastor Schumacher. If I didn't have four sacristans doing the figure eight, I'd be up there going through everybody with the bread. Come back, everybody with the individual cups. Come back, everybody with the chalice. Come back with the little basket. <sighs> you think it's long now, you just wait. So it's, it's helpful to have, you know, some hands chipping in. But I, so for those of you who came to a Saturday night service before COVID, we finally just stopped scheduling sacristans and acolytes and ushers. Because what was happening is people were having, they're coming to Saturday night, they're coming on Sunday morning to worship, but they got to go to like two services because they're sacristan at one, and their kids and acolyte at the other. And they're just, it's all about the serving. And it was, for some, it was becoming kind of this labor and not, not a joy anymore. So I just made this announcement on Saturday night. I was, I was like, well, it's just me. So uh, if you want this to go faster, you can just put a robe on and come back here and help me. Otherwise, just sing the hymns and pray. It's going to be okay. There's only 30 of, you, 30 of you here anyway. That was kind of this laid back. All right. It's not the end of the world to just sit and receive the gifts. And then having received, we can serve not just in the church, though, but also it's everywhere you go, right? So the Christian serving isn't, isn't just ushering at church and getting out coffee, which is certainly appreciated. It's when you leave this place, serving in your vocation as husband, wife, child, whatever your job is, your neighbor in your community, all of that. That's your service. But your service... Is, is going to be positively impacted by your marrying here in this place. All right. Any other thoughts or questions on that? Uh, what 
mother was so anxious. Um, I assume that she held Jesus in very high regard, just to put it mildly. So, like, it's bad enough just having a pastor at your home, and then all the things you suddenly have to do to serve what he visits would probably be so much worse if Lord is there. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. It just, it, it shows, it speaks highly of Martha, how, high, how Jesus is coming. She wanted everything spick and span. Which, by the way, some of you, like, I've, hey, uh, can I stop by? My, my, none of you are this way necessarily. It's our shut-ins who always do it. So if you ever find yourself as a shut-in, I'm like, hey, uh, I'm in the neighborhood, and I've got some free time, so I'm going to bring you communion. No. Well, why not? Well, there's, it's a, the house is a mess. I don't care. I'm coming. Well, uh, give me five minutes to go to the bathroom, I guess. <laughs> I'm coming. And so I did this more in Colorado because all my members were retired. So I just show up and knock on the door and you see like, so my picture on the corner and scrambling. And I come in, all of a sudden, there's a catechism sitting on the coffee table <laughs> with the plastic still on and off. You don't, we don't have to worry about that, right? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, certainly shows Martha's high regard. Very good, good point. Anything else? So the next, so we go from, it's, it's, a, hell, it's, it's a cool transition that, that happens here between chapter 10 into 11. Chapter 11, we turn to prayer. But notice, we're in the context of worship from a teaching standpoint. We got Martha and Mary and how we rightly need to be receiving the Lord's gifts before our response. And so prayer is, is right here in the, in, the, in the context of learning. I receive the Lord's gifts and then I respond in prayer and service and praise. And so here it is. Having received the Lord's gifts, teaching, uh, the teaching regarding receiving and being merry. We jump into the Lord's Prayer, Luke 11. We'll be able to talk a little bit about that, and then we got to wrap it up. The Lord's Prayer. Let me find my text. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished. Aren't you always praying in a certain place? No matter where you're praying, it's going to be a certain. Anyway, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, which we quote at, especially in divine service two or one, whatever we're in now, the intro to the Lord's prayer, Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. We're quoting here. And he said to them, when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And then he says to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. 
the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the Lord's Prayer. First, what's the, uh, what catches your eye about the Lord's Prayer here in Luke? It's shorter. What's missing? Well, there's a couple, there's a couple petitions that are missing and the, the conclusion, which by the way, the conclusion's not in the original anywhere. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So be careful when you go visit your Catholic cousin and you'll be, it's the, it's the shibboleth of the Lutheran or the Protestant. When, you, when you're at the, uh, you're at a Catholic mass and you're saying the Lord's Prayer, you're like, for thine is the... Uh, the whenever there's a Catholic Lutheran wedding, you know, like the bride's side's all Lutheran and the groom side's all Catholic and we're saying the Lord's Prayer, there's like all of a sudden radio silence on one side of the room. Um, so that, that's not in the Bible, and that's okay. So we're not, we're not, we're not hiding that fact. Uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. It's not, it's not unbiblical. It's a biblical idea. We're simply giving a clear confession of, of what, we're, what we're saying about God's eternality and his, the eternality of his kingdom. Um, it's, but it's just a conclusion we've added. It's a man, we just admit it's a, it's a man-made addition to the, to the prayer. It's not bad right? Um, but so don't, don't some, for some people that's shocking. You're telling me we, we, here we are Lutherans, we're all about God's word. And then we say the Lord's prayer, which is not, we, we, we've been saying something that's, that's man-made. Well, what about for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, is somehow not a biblical idea, right? So it's not wrong. And by the way, the Catholics also say it, but they just say it like later, um, but yeah, and, uh, so it's, we're, we're not afraid of that. Don't let that, don't let that burden you. It's also the case as the commentators suggest or, or suppose that Jesus taught this same basic prayer multiple times in different places. Matthew six is the more familiar one that we would say, uh, that we more regularly say, uh, this has a lot of similar ideas, but it's dropped out the will and delivering us from evil. Certainly those are still consistent themes with how we should pray to God, but it's just not how Jesus taught here. So don't let that burden you that there's different, different renderings. Jesus is teaching this, the, the same prayer in different places. Um, for our Father, just Father, hallowed be your name. But appropriate on Father's Day to draw attention to this. We... We teach children um, to pray our Father. So imagine like new, a new Christian or someone who's kind of just foreign to the idea of Christianity. Um, uh, Hal Singbao is a seminary professor of mine. He, was, um, he did some inner city mission work in Fort Wayne. So he would be teaching catechism class to, to a bunch of just like kids who didn't know who their dad was, or their parents. They were just, they were brought by a well-meaning neighbor or an aunt, right? 
So for many of, for many of those kids in his situation, fa- the concept of father, to teach our kids, God is father. It's, it's basically telling them that God is this distant, abusive drunk who when he comes around, hits you. If that's, your, if that's your idea of what a father is, because that's the father you grew up with, you see the problem? So we want to be mindful that when we're teaching what a father is, we, the, the picture of what a father should be, an earthly father is supposed to be drawing its definition from what ultimate father is, that's God. So earthly fathers, we're learning how to provide for our family, protect them, care for them, love our spouse and so forth. All that is drawn from our heavenly father. And we're given plenty of things to confess all of our shortcomings that have been, that, that, that we clearly see in the law. We see, <laughs> I asked Rich to let his alarm go off in time to, we got a baptism coming up. I got to get ready for in late service here. Um, so we'll, we'll unfold more of the Lord's Prayer, but just maybe just to, to wrap it up, to, at, to be drawn into the Lord's family. So we're baptized into Christ. We're made brothers and sisters of Christ. And we now we are given this privilege of praying to God, not as, oh God, oh wonderful creator who's distant and above all things, which that's certainly true that he's, he's powerful creator, but it's a much more intimate prayer that we're given to pray. We're asking as we would a father. Luther puts it in his catechism. Uh, we pray like a child asks his dear father in heaven. So a, a child asking a father is a child who says, so here, 6.30 a.m., Everly always runs over to the side of the bed and starts poking me. Can you make breakfast? I don't want her to be afraid to do that. I want her to always to know that she can ask me for whatever. Maybe it'd be nice if she waited till a little bit later or something when I'm trying to sleep. But like whatever the thing is, we want, our, we want children, we want to have them asking their fathers without fear and asking what they need, not even knowing what they need and what they want. They can't distinguish between. They're like, hey, you know, it'd be nice, chocolate cake. So. At 6 a.m. on a Saturday, the kid asks for chocolate cake and dad says no. And on Friday at seven o'clock, the kid asks for chocolate ice cream and dad says yes. And the kid's trying to put it together. Two-year-old is like, well, I asked dad. Sometimes he gives me, sometimes he doesn't. I don't understand the difference. All I know is I should ask him because he loves me and he knows what's best for me, right? Is that not how we parent our children? We want them to know that we know what's best for them and we'll give it when, when they need it. And we'll give them even the things that they desire when it's good and appropriate for them. But we make that decision. And that's how we're also to understand our prayers to God, our Heavenly Father, who we pray to freely, asking all things. And we'll come to this next week, this, this idea of this shamelessness, the, the pray, laying whatever it is before God. Like, well, I don't, want to, I don't want to pray for this. That seems selfish or seems silly. No. Um, but yeah, you just certainly won't want to pray for sinful things, but you want to you pray for whatever has to, happens to be on your mind and the Lord will work it out. But we're given to pray 
with this simplicity of a, of a two-year-old asking dad for chocolate ice cream at 5 a.m. on a Saturday. Fine. He loves you. He wants you to ask him. And he'll work out what's best. Any comments or thoughts on prayer? And we'll get into the Lord's Prayer next week. If, if, you, think, if you happen to think about it, we'll be, look, we'll be opening up the small catechism next week, which are actually in the hymnal or the Bible. So next week, if you, if you think about it, grab a Bible uh, or a hymnal when you sit down. The Lord be with you.